Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now, my dear friends, this is the first sermon in our summer sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. So as it is the first one, I think it would be good by way of introduction to ask and answer a few questions about the Apostles' Creed. First, why is it, after all these centuries, we still keep returning to the Apostles' Creed in our liturgy? Well, the answer for this is in our confessional statement, the 39 Articles of Religion. There, in Article 8, we're told that the three creeds, the Nicene, the one we just repeated today for the Lord's Supper, the Athanasian, recited on Gospel Sundays in the Christian year, and the Apostles' Creed, are to be received and believed fully because, and here is the key, because they are faithful to God's Word, the Scriptures. So we keep repeating and rehearsing again and again because, in a way, we are returning again and again to the summary of the teaching of the Scriptures. So the next question would be simple as well. What is the pattern? Is there one in the Apostles' Creed? And once again, the answer is found in our historical formularies, this time the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, specifically in the Catechism. It's there that we read a review of the promises made for the person coming to confirmation on behalf of them by their godparents at their baptism, that they should believe all the articles of the Christian faith. The next question is a follow-up. What then are the articles of your belief? And the answer is the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed appears in full. Now, the three main sections to the Creed are in the question that follows. What do you learn in these articles of your belief? Here it is in the traditional language. First, I learn to believe in God the Father, whom hath made me and all the world. Secondly, in God the Son, who hath redeemed me and all mankind. Thirdly, in God the Holy Ghost, who sanctifieth me and all the elect people of God. So we have three main sections, all focused on God. God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, did you notice that the catechism is very specific? It tells the person that it is not information per se that we trust, but it is in a person. 
This is what it said. What do you chiefly learn by these articles of your belief? And the answer, I learn to believe in God. Now this is a critical distinction because I'm sure we have met Christians or perhaps we were once that ourselves, a Christian in name only, who have known about God or about the Lord Jesus Christ or about the Holy Spirit but never truly knew them to trust them. In other words, we may have and know the facts of Christianity but fall short of a trust in God. Now we saw this in our recent study of the letter of James in chapter 2 verse 19. There, James highlights this, what I would call, intellectual knowledge. It's the knowledge that the demons also possess. They know these things, but they lack personal trust in God. Therefore, they tremble in these facts. But we who are believers believe or trust in God, in this God, a person. Now consider the reality here in logic. When you realize that God is the object of your trust, you trust in him. The more you come to know him, the deeper your trust becomes. And so we end up through the many trials of our life, And returning again and again to the study of the scriptures, either heard or read or preached to us, and we come to a deeper and deeper trust in him. So now we come to an obvious question. If the creeds are faithful to the scriptures, and the goal is that God has given us the scriptures so that we might know him, why not just save a step? Why should we bother with a creed at all? Isn't the Bible enough for us? Well, to answer this question, we have to step back a little to consider the nature of our human existence before God as a fallen one. Now, we learn about this in Romans chapter 1, don't we? That the human fall into sin has caused mankind to ignore or to deny their creator. Sin has so affected our minds and causes our thinking to become futile apart from Jesus Christ. However, it's important to remember that our minds have been affected by sin but not destroyed by sin. Unbelievers still find truth quite often, and can attain a breadth of knowledge in various areas of creation, what we would call God's general revelation or God's common grace. But human minds and human intellects are so negatively affected that we are utterly incapable of knowing God himself. God must choose to reveal himself to us. This is how the Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm reading from the NIV translation. The man without the Spirit 
does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Only the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, is the searcher of the deep things of God. Only he can bring about this realization in our sin-darkened minds and hearts. That is why Paul calls it a spiritual understanding. Spiritual meaning the Holy Spirit given understanding. And the work of the Holy Spirit in imparting this knowledge is called by the term illumination. Illumination. It's not giving a new revelation apart from Scripture, but it is part of God's provision, his blessing to us as believers, a work within us by the Spirit through the Word that enables us to grasp and to love the revelation that is there before us in the Scripture as we read it or study it or have it explained by pastors and teachers. You see, sin in our mental and moral system clouds our minds and wills so that we miss and resist the force of Scripture. We forget what it says. The Spirit, however, opens and unveils our minds and attunes our hearts so that we understand. And each of us has a variation of that understanding depending upon where God found us, how he has looked after us, and how he is bringing us on in the Lord Jesus Christ. So illumination is a lifelong ministry of the Holy Spirit to you as the believer. It starts before your conversion with a growing grasp of the truth about Jesus and a growing sense of being measured and exposed by what Scripture says. Many times I've talked to those who have come to the Lord in faith and realizing for the first time that what the Bible says, if this is true, I am in terrible trouble. Illumination is the applying of God's revealed truth to our hearts so that we grasp as reality for ourselves what the actual text sets before us. Now, write this one down. The creeds exist as a summary, support structure to the message of the scriptures in light of our variability in illumination. It's a way to help us learn what the message of scripture truly is articles of our belief. So I've gathered three examples from the scriptures that show how this support structure works in terms of our human need in light of the illumination ministry of the Holy Spirit. First, as Frank read to us, Deuteronomy chapter 26, the need to remember. The second, 1 Corinthians 15, the need for teaching 
passing on the information. And Mark 12, the need for precision, for precision. So let's look for a moment at our need to remember in Deuteronomy 26. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and you've taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, have you noticed right there in that opening sentence in two that there is a specific time of year when this is to take place? It's at the beginning of the harvest. Now, notice also this is not something you do in your backyard. Instead, it requires a specific public witness. You must go to the Levitical priest who lives in your region to hear you. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Now notice already in this opening statement, this summary, how God's character and person are underlined. Indeed, it's his covenant promise that is central. The promise made to our forefathers. Now, who would they be? Well, it's the generations that have preceded whoever this person is making this creedal statement. From Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way through the 12 tribes and the generations that came through the wilderness and into the promised land. Notice it's his faithfulness to his promise and that his presence, he's there, I declare today to the Lord is underlined here. And then you shall make response before the Lord your God. Now notice how there is a specific response as the offering is given. And now these words are said, a wandering Aramean was my father. Now what does that mean? Well, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had links to a specific region, to Aram Naharaim, where in Genesis 11, we saw in our study that that's where Terah, Abraham's father, had come from. And so the story continues of God's redemption out of Egypt. And in seven sentences of this summary, Genesis 11 through Joshua chapter 1, is recounted. It recounts the Lord God's redemption, his preservation, and provision of his covenant people by his grace alone. Without it, they would have remained in bondage and Egypt. Now, the need for such a creedal provision is also made equally clear in other parts of Deuteronomy. Namely, we forget. Deuteronomy 4. Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, the mighty acts, the signs and wonders, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. The result we see in the history of Israel, Judges chapter 3, 
And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Now this same pattern of forgetting and idolatry in contrast with God's faithful remembrance and his character is a hallmark of the later Old Testament prophets. Here's one example from Ezekiel. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourselves must bear the consequences of your lewdness and your whoring. And so the judgment fell. The very judgment predicted in Deuteronomy would occur if they forgot the Lord God, and indeed they forgot the judgment as well. So the biblical principle here is quite simple. The hallmark of the believer is to take upon themselves that aspect of God's character, faithfully to remember who God is and what he has done and what he continues to do for you and me. Our need to remember. Now our need for instruction is in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So here we're told at the start that this is a body of teaching that Paul was taught, and he also has taught the Corinthians that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So once again, we have this summary, this creedal statement of the whole course of the Old Testament scriptures and the Gospels, how the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ are the sum of the redemption of mankind through the children of Israel. The promises made in Genesis 3.15 are now fulfilled in him. And Paul does this in just one sentence. He also makes reference in his letters to the faith, the noun with the definite article. In other words, it's not the activity of believing I have faith, but the addition of the definite article suggests this definite, specific gathering of teaching that the Corinthians must examine themselves to see whether they are in the faith. He writes to his young apprentice, his young minister, Timothy, that you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. In his second letter, the young man is to follow the pattern of sound words that he has heard from the Apostle Paul. Well, clearly this is not just the entire scope of the scriptures, but a specific and limited pattern. In other words, a summary of the doctrine of redemption. This is what he is meant to teach. And then we see a specific example 
in the hallmarks of the Christian life in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. If we died with him, he will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, in this creedal statement, we see two lines stating the glorious results that accrue when one believes and identifies with Christ, dying to oneself in union with Christ's death, enduring suffering for Christ throughout one's life. And the last two lines state the life of the disobedient disciple, denial and unfaithfulness. Well, taken together, we can see, can't we, how new believers would confess their faith in this way, dying with Christ and rising with Christ. In other words, this is a creedal statement at the point of baptism. So we have creeds because we have a need to remember, a need for instruction, and thirdly, a need for precision, Mark chapter 12. Now, because it is an effective summary of the faith, biblically faithful creeds are both a foundation and a fence. Because we place our need for instruction and our tendency to wander because of the presence of sin that still remains, Romans chapter 7, we must also add the usefulness of a creed as a guard of a fellowship of believers to keep them from serious error. And an example is here in Mark's gospel. Jesus is being cross-examined by false teachers, the Pharisees and scribes, to trap him in error And taking note how well he's answered, a sincere scribe asks which commandment of all the commandments of the Old Testament is the most important of all. What does the Lord Jesus do next? He answers in a summary. In other words, a creedal statement of the entire law of God in the Pentateuch. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. The summary is in the repetition. The hinge point is love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love summarizes the both and then the second. In the same way that love is what brought God to save us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. My dear friends, you see our Lord understood this as a summary and gave it to his questioner. And the questioner agrees. What's fascinating is what follows. The summary draws a understanding and a commentary on the meaning of this summary statement. You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. 
and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the Lord Jesus commends this scribe's perspective and says, you are not from the kingdom of God. You've got it, he's telling him. That the whole course of temple worship, of sacrificial worship, established by Moses in tabernacle and temple of Solomon and the temple now of Herod, this fine edifice that Jesus stands before, and both he and this man are able to see in this summary the true meaning of the gospel. So when we join together to say the Apostles' Creed, we must give thanks for the providence of God to the forebears of the church who understood our need, understood the doctrine of illumination, our need that we must remember what we have forgotten, that we are to be taught in what is essential, and to give us focus as to where our hearts and minds should be. In other words, whenever you stop to say the creed and consider its meaning, you reveal to yourself once again your heart orientation, where you stand before your God who saved you. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the Email Newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church Simple church, ancient truth, real people, new life.